Good evening, everybody, and welcome back to the Shadow Eraser Poetry Hour. My name is Carla, and you can find me on Instagram at shadow underscore scribing. I am joined again tonight by my awesome co-host, Adam, who you can find on Instagram at underscore no underscore eraser underscore. And we are joined tonight by another one of our amazing authors, Benjamin Fortier, who was raised in rural Rhode Island and quickly found power in literature, music, and art. He has published two books. Uh, The first is The Silent Whisper of Omens and The Stones of the Wooded Valley, both independently released. Uh, And his themes mainly revolve around mental health, mysticism, the supernatural, surrealism, and social issues. Uh, When not writing, he and his girlfriend, Emily, cater to their rescue dog, Princess Peppa Pig the Bully. So, welcome, Ben. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I've been uh, looking forward to this. So, appreciate it. I'm looking forward to the discussion. Yeah, so have we. So, to open up, as it says, you are a native of rural Rhode Island. And... Am I correct to assume that, especially seeing your book titles, uh, The Silent Whispers of Omens and especially Stones of the Wooded Valley, did that play very heavily into your themes and your titles for your books? Yeah, I absolutely found myself very entranced by the area that I grew up in. It was, um, you know, had a lot of acreage to play around in and would explore the woods behind my the house that I grew up in and things like that. So uh, nature was definitely a place to go to kind of escape, uh, you know, just nothing crazy but it was just it it was a place that kind of called to me and i felt very at home in nature just kind of it's it's just eye-opening to go out into the woods and then just like kind of like sit around and you don't have to be a hunter you can just kind of be a bird watcher or what i don't even know what they call people that just like go out into the woods and just hang out maybe like hippies probably but like (laughs) (laughs) i don't really put myself in that category too much but um yeah, I mean, it was just, it, it definitely, f- there's lots of cool places around where I grew up. There's this place called Purgatory Chasm up in uh, Massachusetts where it has like all these like cool like rock formations you can kind of climb around in. And obviously up in, uh, you know, you got the white and the green mountains up in Vermont, New Hampshire. It's just, this is a really nice area. And I think um, the that nature has always kind of spoken to me, uh, you know, I think, here I am, 35 years old, uh, recovering, relapsing Catholic. And, you know, I, I found that, um, you know, paganism and neo-paganism and druidic stuff has kind of spoken to me as a person and kind of that kind of has really tied back to the whole the, the nature thing. And when I'm in nature, I feel like, you know, it's just a place of cleansing. It's a place to kind of view the perfection of the the world in its own imperfections and to really see the dichotomy the birth and the death and the life and all of it just kind of being uh in one place in on one thing that's on one tree or whatever so yeah uh yeah it definitely had a large influence on not only my titles but a lot of my work um will summarize and uh bring similes and metaphors in with nature and stuff like that so for sure for sure yeah that's pretty amazing because as you're telling your story i'm thinking to myself i had a i had a neighborhood park i grew up in trenton new jersey and it's like i had a neighborhood park with a really old three tiered slide that looked like a big rocket ship and it was made all of metal and we just used to like blister our asses going down it in the summer (laughs) that was about as close to nature as we got but um but no those sound like some amazing experiences language here man i grew up in kentucky uh and so it wasn't uncommon for me to come home and and go out until the street lights came on and that time was usually spent in the woods and it's it's interesting that you say that because that concept of of tapping into the natural i i 
I kind of shy away from using the word spiritual, not because I don't believe in it, but because it has a negative connotation. I think people instantly shut down when you say the word spiritual, but tapping into the natural deeper layers of things very much permeates your work. And it's really cool to see how, how someone's background can leave that fingerprint on the poetry that they write all throughout their life. And that's one thing that I deeply enjoyed about Stones of the Wood Valley. Um, I haven't had an opportunity to pick up the first book yet. And that's next on my list. Um, Thank you. As soon as I was reading this, that kinship that I had with the deeper layer of things, be it nature, whatever it is that you want to call it, uh, universal consciousness, uh, insert your term here, definitely called to me uh, very, very deeply. And it's cool because you do it in a way that's not ham-fisted at all. It feels very natural. Um, I'm looking at your page two here, your forward, and you say here towards the bottom, poetry allows for flexibility and fluidity that prose does not. It gives uh, the author a certain freedom to bend and shape words and have an absolutely schizophrenic state of mind. And I love that. Uh, and, and it's really cool how that's connected very much to the natural state of things. There is this seemingly fluid aspect to nature, but there's also this massive connectedness that I don't think that you can really tap into unless you've experienced that firsthand. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that wherever you are in the world, regardless of you know, what part of the world and what culture you have, there is always somewhere in the root of things. There's that connection to nature. There is that, you know, that um, inspiration from uh, nature and we can't escape that. It's, it's the world that we're born into. And I think that it's, it's magnificent when we can have a relationship with that, you know, and I know that there are probably people that are born in cities and live and die in cities and never get to experience that. And that I literally, I really truly feel sorry for them. They, they're missing out on one of the great uh, amazing joys of the world. And that is, you know, the, the, the natural landscape that is, you know, just the entire planet, basically, wherever you kind of land, unless you are in one of those unfortunate folks that, you know, is entombed by cities. Um, you know, I, I feel sorry for them. That's, that sucks. But given this day and age, I think a, a lot of us have more opportunities now, uh, to take advantage of, you know, getting outside of our, you know, those places and things like that and seeing the world a little bit more, whether it's virtually or not, you know, it's, it's one, but you can't experience that stuff virtually, obviously. So. I love that phrase entombed though. That's, that's spot on. It's, it's funny because we accredit these, you, you were saying towards the beginning, you're like, I'm not sure what we call someone who likes to spend time in nature in general. I, I jokingly said a serial killer, but the, <laughs> the truth of it is, the truth of it is, is, we are doing everything that we can. This is when I get on my old man soapbox. That's this part of the podcast. We are doing everything that we can as a society to reject the natural built-in DNA instinct that we have to be a part of the world around us in nature and outside of everything that we've constructed. So if anything, I think that that, that definitely allows you to tap in a little bit deeper. So that's, that's a great point, man. Appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, definitely. And and it's funny because as I'm, you know, as I'm listening, I, I had this, you know, for years, like I said, growing up in a city, this sort of echo and narcissist relationship with, you know, the natural world because there was so little of it available. Um, but I found that living where I lived at the time, you know, I was never more than an hour from, say, the ocean or, you know, we call them mountains, but it's sort of a tongue in cheek term because the Appalachians in comparison to <laughs> other mm. mountain ranges in the country, it's like, yeah, okay, but it's yeah. better than nothing. But, you know, I remember, you know, taking trips to the ocean, taking trips up to the Delaware water gap, taking trips, you know, out to the Poconos, um, you know, even out driving through Pennsylvania. And, and it's true that having that presence and even little places that I was able to find, like we have the nice walk along the uh, the Delaware Canal 
And I did a lot of writing there. You know, I did a lot of my mm-hmm. writing, a lot of my soul searching, you know, leaving a lot of sorrows on the riverbank. And it's just, I, I wholeheartedly agree that having that connection, you know, and whether it's something we just do for our own personal benefit, whether it is, you know, a more in-depth spiritual connection, it, it I think it matters. And it definitely reflects in a lot of the things that you wrote. Um, there's one that I wanted to mention, if that's okay. And this is actually from the Silent Whispers of Omens. Um, so the one that the first one that I kind of bookmarked in this was the Dying Temple. Hmm. And if do you have anything in front of you? Do you have your? I yeah, I grabbed both of them. Yeah. Would you mind reading that for us? Sure, I could do that. This is the Dying Temple. Deep beyond where human vision can reach lies a desolate sanctuary, molested with decay. Deep into the woods where the ground is hollow, darkness shrouds her in the bright of the day. Tread softly on this hallowed ground, the temple moans with sullen sighs. Whispers and echoes of yesterdays spit wildly into the lifeless skies. The trees decayed, lifeless leaves fall, brilliantly onto the cobble trail. We can wait in silent hours now and watch the woman behind the veil. She grieves in front of an unmarked stone and the tears roll off her aging face. I hold, le- I hold you gently in my arms. This is our only resting place. You quietly ask me, abusing the silence, why the chapel set off in the dark. I smile softly and caress your face. I feel my wisdom has made its mark. Because, my dear, I gently hush, the future is what you always speak of. I motion toward a lonely grave. That is our future, my love. Brilliant. Fucking love it. (laughs) Fucking love it. Thank you. Yeah, that one definitely displays uh, the elements of nature, uh, you know, just mysticism, memento mori, that whole kind of thing, you know, the woman behind the veil is more or less just kind of, you know, a, a jab at, you know, a hinting at of, you know, the the greater powers and things like mm-hmm. that. And it's just, it's, it, I just kind of wanted to thinking back to when I wrote that, I got, I haven't read that or thought about that in a long time. So it's, I appreciate you, you picking that one. Um, you know, thinking back to when I wrote it, it was definitely just kind of, uh, how can I cram up the human experience into, you know, six stanzas or whatever. And that was what I came up with. And what really fascinates me is the concept of mortality in general runs deep through almost all of your work. And I think, uh, a lazy first glance, it can almost be taken as a nihilistic view of life, but I think it's almost more of an absurdist view of life. If that makes sense, life is so short, so you can't take it so fucking seriously. Um, and it just is what it is. It's, it's not necessarily this great tragedy. It is how things are designed and how things move forward. And that's not necessarily something to be hung up and obsessing over, but it is something to give honor to and witness and appreciate that. Uh, again, speaking my language, man, my, I mean, I, I was just talking earlier to uh, Carla, my youngest son's name is Emerson. Um, if that tells you anything and the concept of the oversoul is something that I've always been very passionate about because it's, there's, there's such a connectivity between all humanity that it's too much to be coincidence that there has to be that deeper layer, that mesh that underlies everything. And that piece does a really, really good job of kind of peeling back that layer and saying, I, I love the line about obsessing over the future, talking about the future. Because what, what, where is the profit in that? Where, where is the fruit in that? Enjoy the present, enjoy the now. Uh, and, and just give into, it's, it's all right. It, you don't have to be so obsessed about what's tomorrow. Just just work on what's today. I really love that piece. Yeah, appreciate that. I, I think that is something that um, I once I started to get into like mindfulness based stress reduction in my mid twenties and things like that. That really 
it was, you know, it's, it's a piece like that, that helped things kind of click. Like I already had these receptors that were waiting for, you know, something like mindfulness to enter my life. And it's like, Oh, holy shit. Like I, I've always kind of been like that, but I've never, you know, refined it in such a way. And I've never had the opportunity to let someone tell me what it's like to, um, you know, sit and breathe mindfully and things like that. And, um, yeah, and being in the present is something that, uh, at a young age, I kind of realized was just really important. And, um, that mortality is definitely finite. And, uh, you know, as I moved on as a young adult, I ended up in the military and ended up in Iraq in 2006 in a pretty dangerous part of Iraq. And, um, you know, that was really when it was on full display. And part of me, I think, too, I was seeking out that validity of what is the human experience? And I thought that going to war was going to have all of that leveled up to like 11 and there was no way to hide from it. And, you know, in the back of my mind, you know, patriotism and duty and honor was obviously, you know, very prevalent. It, 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 made me go into a dangerous part of the world and and carry a gun and expose myself to real dangers. But at the same time, I felt I, I was, uh, you know, Beowulf and I was trying to seek that, that, uh, that validity of life. It's like, why the fuck am I here? Like, you know, and then realizing on the other side of it, once you escape that, that those sorts of traumas and that's that's that sort of imminent danger that uh you know being in a combat theater can put you in uh you begin to to just uh, approach life differently and 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 I know that is with any sort of trauma uh you know whether you're a, a, in a in a war zone or have dealt with you know terrible loss and tragedy and things like that you know there's a whole spectrum of it but, um, you know, I think to a certain extent, there was a little bit of manifest destiny going on. And when I was able to walk away in one piece, you know, thankfully wasn't injured or anything like that. Uh, it really showed me that, like, yeah, life is definitely as fragile as you thought it was. And it's also very vicious. And in these vicious times, there is just this wide breath of human response human uh reaction um you know we were in like what i considered you know what really is considered basically a third world part of the world you know i'd never been to a city like that you know i like i you know I'd been to New York City and I'd been to London and I, you know, had seen some parts of the world, but nothing had prepared me for, you know, the city of Fallujah in Iraq because that was just a really bad area. And prior to when we had gotten there uh, was part of a really dangerous and like deadly operation where they basically leveled the entire city. Uh, And I was very up in. Uh, on that stuff, I was following it very closely while I was in high school and that, you know, I set my heels in, in terms of like, you know, I'm going to join the military and do that whole thing. Uh, but I also wanted to experience life. So I decided to do the reserves, which just put me on a, a pretty unique path in the sense that basically I was like boot camp, infantry school deployment, like almost like back to back, which was pretty good. I mean, I was in as good a shape as I could have been and things like that. And as well-trained as I could have been to, to get into the combat theater. But yeah, so I did some time there and I, and I was writing all along. I was doing a lot of poetry. A lot of that stuff uh, made it into Stones of the Wooded Valley. Um, but I've also been stewing, pardon me, I've also been stewing on a lot of that stuff for the last 
you know, 16 years. This was a long time ago for me now. I'm a, I'm an old man. And, <laughs> but I mean, it, it's, it's interesting. I'm part of a the veteran cohort of writers that are all just fantastic. And they're just, it's, it's very cool. Another spectrum thing that we're talking about spectrums here tonight. It's my, my theme in that they are from Afghanistan. They, they're, they've had deployments to Afghanistan as infantry people. Uh, they've had deployments to Iraq and t- well beyond after I had been there. And it's just like this whole gambit of people that have seen and done all sorts of things. You know, Anthony Roberts is, uh, is has seen the enlisted and officer side of the house pre nine 11. I'm pretty sure he was in, in like the late nineties uh, it, it's just so wild to think that there's just such like a diverse range of people that, you know, in nine 11, obviously was a game changer for fucking everybody, especially, you know, the people that had thought about the military ahead of time. You know, I think either people were like, Oh shit, no, I don't know about this. Either they were stuck in a contract or they really kind of like me, they really sank their heels in and, I drank the I drank the the Kool Aid that Colin Powell was handing out in the you know at that congressional meeting where he holds up the vial of anthrax and I was like let's go you know so I was of that uh, I was of that age and of that impression you know and I think we talk about uh, you know I'm not gonna pull out my sociologist card here but you know a lot of us that grew up in like those rural areas subscribe to more conservative thoughts uh compared to our you know more urban and suburban counterparts that live in the same spots you know my parents uh, had more conservative views and things like that it took me a while to kind of find my own path and you know more or less find my own ground but you know it for a little while i was definitely like let's Let's get over there. Let's do it. And I, I tried my best. I did the best I could. You know, I'm not a war criminal, thank God, or, you know, anything like that. I don't have that kind of shit stacked up against me. So, you know, I did my best, did an honorable four years, and then was really troubled by what uh what was going on after the fact. And uh, another deployment came up, and my immediate reaction was basically just to get the fuck out of Dodge and focus uh, more on education in academia, which I have been very, uh, you know, much a. It's been a guilty pleasure for me going don't, going to school and taking advantage of those benefits that uh, being a veteran has allowed. Um, so, yeah, that's a lot to chew on. Why don't you guys chew on that for a little bit? <laughs> I have a few things. I know for I, I'm very close to a lot of individuals in the military, and a lot of that comes from my previous work as a deputy jailer. I was in law enforcement for about five and a half years, and probably ninety percent of the guys that I worked with were previous military, and almost every single one of them that I've spoke to during that time or or after, you, you joked about drinking that Kool Aid, and. I'm curious, the, the individuals that I've spoke to in, in my circle say that there's a moment in their service where there's a switch that gets flipped and there's almost a disenchantment of the concept of I'm going into this for a specific reason. Is that something that occurred with you as well? Uh, I think as I was coming home and being reintegrated into my civilian life mm-hmm. uh, I, is when I really started to realize there was a disconnect. I'm actually reading, uh, here we go. I'm going to start dropping book names and author names and things like that. I got a little pile of books over here that I want to make sure I get some shout outs. I know nobody could see this, so I'm going to uh, verbalize it. This is on assimilation, a transition from war. It's uh, by Leo Jenkins. He was an army ranger who served uh, around the same time as me, like the early 2000s into the mid 2000s. He was an army ranger combat medic. Um, You know, he doesn't really talk about his war tales. I'm sure the dude has seen some crazy shit. You know, when you're a medic, 
you have to see crazy shit. Everyone's coming to you with their with their bad stuff. So whether he liked it or not, he probably has been through some stuff. And this book is just an incredible look at um, what someone who was like that and what what it's like to get back into society and uh, everyone has their own individual story uh obviously and and, but leo paints it in his it's it's a memorial it it's it's a memoir in an autobio but it's written very very well in the sense that it's just easily digestible it's not really geared towards you know, the veteran or, you know, it's geared towards anyone who's interested in what the global war and terrorism vets have, you know, faced, especially during uh, that time. So, yeah, I think um, part of that is explored in my next book, which is coming out. Um, I, I, I'm happy to give you guys some updates. I actually just spoke to the to the editor of uh dead reckoning collective keith and he is uh we are doing a a conference call on tuesday so we're going to be talking about the edits and uh the the things are moving forward with with the book it's called phantoms and a lot of that has just been me unpacking um these sorts of topics uh over the last 16 years and uh there's some poems in there here, um, if you would like, I could probably read a poem that's related to that. Yeah, that'd be uh, fantastic. So, yeah, fantastic. Is this going to be a mixture of poetry and prose? Uh, there's an opening that is uh, prose. There's a close. There's an opening and a closer that kind of bookmark or in bookend the the poetry. Gotcha. Uh, it's just kind of some thoughts, basically. Um, but uh, it's it's ninety percent poetry, basically. So let's see what we got here. Let's see. So disconnection. See, I'm hoping that this is going to come out in the next uh, year or so. Um, yeah. All right. I've read this one before, so uh, this is. Uh, a, a good one that um, I'm, I'm happy to read for you all. This is called eat the apple. And there's a story behind this that we can, uh, the, the, the quote eat the apple was something that was often scrawled in the inside of Port of John's by disgruntled Marines. And it would show like eat the apple. And then there was a little picture of an apple with like a little bite taken out of it. And then fuck the core C O P R S was underneath it so that's uh that so i have eat the apple dot 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 and the the inference is fuck the core there is a quote some people go their whole lifetime wondering if they made a difference marines don't have that problem thanks for the wisdom ron the difference i've made is not stunning nor worthy of history books nor valorous medals their lingering memories, echoes of laughter after nasty jokes, moments spent in awe of the firepower at our disposal, an explosion and a flash, uncontrollable sobbing after a memorial ceremony, seeing a wounded Marine getting dragged across a street, the dirt kicking up from an IED. A lifetime of wonder. It is not the intention in question, but the outcome of the consequences. Ron, I did wonder if I made a difference when Daesh stormed the walls at Baria and paraded their flags through streets in which my brothers bled upon. Don't give me this bullshit about rendezvousing in hell. We've been there. We've seen it. Hell is here. We do wonder, Ron, if the choices we made were careless callous or complacent we wonder about a lot of things and some of them seep into our nightmares amazing absolutely amazing and so much of what i take away from that is even though obviously i'm not a combat veteran um i think anybody who has been through any kind of significant trauma 
whether it was one single event, you know, because when you were talking about 9-11 and that being a game changer, I was 21 already when that happened. And, you know, I was watching on television like everyone else. And then I was in the city, you know, a couple days afterward. Um, but even, you know, in childhood, my first book um, was mostly a bloodletting of all of those really, you know, traumatic, you know, indelible um, experiences that shaped part of who I am. And I think anybody who's been through that kind of trauma, it just, it, it does change the topography of your soul. I wholeheartedly believe that. And, but it's interesting how the impact craters of those things, whether, you know, it's war or it's, you know, abuse or dysfunction, whatever it was, you know, it, it leaves a different landscape for everybody, but at least when people can open up about that. And that's where I think the true courage is, is that when people can relate those experiences and sort of unroll those maps and show where, you know, all of those, you know, the craters are and the, you know, the ridges and the lakes and the oceans and, you know, the deserts, the jungles, the cities, whatever it may be, you know, the places that, you know, the places that creates in us, what it creates in us is just an amazing thing to share. And you do that so well through your work. Thank you. I love the, uh, the imagery of, uh, you know, bearing your soul as, as a map. And um, I think that's what we do as writers. Um, and, uh, you know, you guys do fantastic work. Adam, I checked out your uh, thank you for choosing me on your Fireflies for Dark Minds podcast. Oh, you're quite welcome. Uh, that, was, that was really unexpected and fantastic. So, um, yeah, that one was also, that's actually going to be uh, featured in, in my book, Phantoms. Is it? Oh, excellent. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, so that one is one that, Man, um, I think that there was, we talk about collective trauma, you know, yeah. 9-11, obviously one of them, uh, you know, as, as a nation. And I think for a lot of the global war and terrorism veterans that the the evacuation of Kabul uh, in basically the close of Afghanistan was really a collective trauma for the, the global war and terrorism veterans. Mm-hmm. I myself... I was kind of numb when, uh, you know, I, I talk about that a little bit in the, in the poem, but I say, Ron, I did make, I did wonder if I made a difference when Daesh stormed the walls at Baria. Um, Daesh is another name for ISIS, uh, the, the Islamic terrorism group, uh, not the band because <laughs> I don't want people to get confused. It's important <laughs> to make a distinction. Yes. Yeah. I have to now. It sucks. <laughs> Uh, but you know, in the walls at Baria, the Camp Baria was the the place that we basically staged at, and that was like the place I lived at for seven months. So it was really like, even when that happened, I was kind of numb. But when the Kabul uh, evacuation was happening, it was I I had a, an emotional reaction, as I'm sure thousands of other veterans did, and there was nothing that I felt that I could do more than write something about it and connect it to my story because my story is about, um, you know, kind of, it's a far relation, but I, you know, I, I write something a little more literal in the actual, uh, book coming out, but it, it's me thinking about when I saw a, a car bomb go off and the aftermath of that. And that shit is crazy. And it's like just inconceivable violence. And to see that and to, to, to know that it's happening to people that don't deserve it, whether they're fucking combatants or non-combatants, it's like, you know, like, God damn that, that it's just such a game changer. And the fact that we are such an interconnected world here, am I talking to you guys virtually, I'm currently studying computer science. I'm going 
back to school for a second degree. You know, I'm really interested in in that shit. And um, it's just insane to think that how much this interconnectedness in the media display of war and for so long, war really was told through poetry and through verbal language and through those mediums and through literature and, and things like that. And everyone kind of laughs at war movies. I love me a good war movie, trust me. But even the best one is like not fucking accurate. Okay, it's it, they never are. And most history books, you know, just in, in memoirs two are you know depending on who wrote it it's somebody fluffing their own balls or whatever so you know everyone's individual experiences definitely vary um but more or less what my experience is comes out through phantoms and i hope that people can connect with it in in a variety of ways like you said carla i want people to see their own um you know, we're talking about topography. I love that. I'm going to start using that. I want people to see their own ridges and valleys. I want people to experience that when they read my words and our maps overlay, you know, if if you're doing land navigation and things like that, shout out to uh, Back Azimuth Solutions, my boy Tyler. He's doing really great things. He was a sergeant in the Marine Corps and he's been through some stuff and now he's on the path to healing he wants to be a doctor he's like going after mental health licenses and things like that so shout out to to tyler he did a brilliant thing by integrating his brand with navigation so i hope that as people read my words their map in my map overlay and they see commonalities and they see that the the valley flows into a river that flows into a lake and that lake wasn't there before that was a desert and it's like no well there's there's hope in that area maybe maybe they find that through my through my words and i try not to you know i I do like to talk about mental health i do like to talk about suicidal ideation and things like that but i also try to inject hope in there too i'm not trying to go for this nihilistic bleak fucking thing because that's not that's not the type of person that I am. I want us to reflect in it. I want us to dip our toes in that water and feel comfortable and, and, and allow people to gradually, you know, spend time with their own shit and um, work it out in, in healthy ways, in productive ways. And I know that creative, uh, the, the creative arm in, in mind is really one of those ways to do that. And, yeah, everyone should have a holistic approach to their healing. Um, you know, like you should have a physical aspect, whether it's yoga or Tai Chi or MMA or whatever. You know, you could, you got to have some kind of physical link to your body and how it moves in 3D space and, you know, it, 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 and all that shit. That's part of the nature connection. That's part of the, the holistic connection and, um, you know, obviously y- utilizing our brains, studying, reading, um, you know, just journaling, writing, you know, all that stuff I think is just has so much power to heal and to help when we <laughs> display our, you know, coping mechanisms. I think Anthony actually sent me a, a meme the other day. And it was like a piece of art and it was like, oh, this is like my, these are my coping mechanisms on display. Like how, like, like how could people relate to this? You know? And uh, I just love that. And I was like, man, that really is it. Like all my poetry is just like coping mechanisms, you know, like on full display, who gives a shit, Uh, you know, get after the vulnerability. That's what makes us people. That's what brings healing into you know, not only our lives, but someone else's lives. And that's when it really matters to me. That's what it means to me when I go out. That's why this shit is public. That's why it's fucking out there, because I want people to connect. I want, you know, I could, you know, writing is very much a, a, an isolated sort of thing. And I like that. I'm an introvert. Sure. I'm sure you guys both are in some respect. 
you know, to, to have that mindset to sit and really do something that's isolated and stuff. But, you know, I don't mind going out and being a charming fuck for a few hours and trying to connect with people and, you know, let them know I'm not like fucking, you know, my, my hood's up and I'm like, trying to fucking... <laughs> You guys are really missing like out. That was a, a fantastic acting display <laughs> on Ben's part. Absolutely. Yeah, I tried to pull my hood up. He pulled his hood up unsuccessfully, <laughs> and knocking his headphones into his eyes. Yeah, you know, I'm trying not to be like a creep. I'm trying to be, you know, my work certainly can be creepy and um, toe the line and definitely range into, I love the word that you brought up earlier, Adam, was absurd. I definitely do like the absurd. I like the surreal. I think a lot of uh, my inspirations are, you know, fantastical, sci-fi, horror, uh, dreams, my own personal dreams. I was very much a vivid dreamer as a kid. I still am um, in, in like lucid dreaming, like changed my life when I realized that that was a thing. Um, it really helped me to kind of combat my nightmares and shit like that as a kid and now I smoke a lot of cannabis, but that is, you know, it's just a different, different method. Uh, the, the but you bring up the dreams, though. Um, yeah, I see hints of my own personal. Uh, we'll call them side effects from from PTSD, uh, sleep paralysis being one specifically. A lot of the dream mm-hmm. imagery is very much reflective of dreams that I've had before, uh, more so. I really appreciate what you said about injecting hope because the reality of the situation doesn't necessarily mean to leave you hopeless. Again, it's, it's paying honor and respect to those genuine issues that are going on, but proceeding to move forward. There's a piece that you have here on page 18 of uh, stones of the wood Valley humility through death. And there's a section I wanted to ask you about. I'm going to read the first two stanzas acceptance of the present. Taking life as it comes or goes. A balance of what pushes and pulls us will lead to harmony. Do not strive for endless happiness. Do not ignore your sorrows. Be pleased to be in pain. For you never know when you might go. And the memory of you is what is left. Uh I'm curious, second stanza, uh, the second and third line here. Do not ignore your sorrows. Be pleased to be in pain. You guys can't see it again. You know, this is uh, a uh, auditory medium. But I wrote how <laughs> right, right next to <laughs> words. I have my own methods, but I'm very curious as to what yours are and how they came about. Because I know... When you go through and witness what you've gone through and witnessed, there are very much two or three different ways that you can go. Uh, it can either break you, you can cope with it in an unhealthy way, or you can cope with it in a healthy way. I know my way to be pleased while I'm in pain, and I'm curious as to what yours are. That's interesting. That's interesting that um, that was your question. And I will... I've never been approached with it. So let's unpack it together. Um, That's what we do here. Yeah. Hell yeah. This is, this is basically my weekly counseling session. (laughs) (laughs) I'll, I'll send you guys a Venmo tonight. (laughs) Yeah. um, Yeah. I think, well, uh, first of all, I guess the groundwork that we could put down is everyone has their own way. Right. And um, there are definitely healthy and unhealthy ways. And I think that, it's okay to kind of do a mixture of both if you're Mm -hmm. fine with that. And uh, depending on how slippery the slopes are for some avenues versus others, you know, you don't want to do that stuff. Right. Meth is not a good coping mechanism. We don't recommend. Do not do that. Yeah. (laughs) Don't inject shit into your veins. That whole shtick. Yeah. Um, You know, obviously, you know, psychedelics uh, have worked for some people, yoga, you know, stuff like that. Those are all great, uh, healthy mechanisms and stuff. Um, But being pleased to be in pain while it's happening. So I talked a little bit about mindfulness earlier, and I think 
just right off the bat, what I want to say is that the title of the poem is the crux of the how. And it is being cognizant of the mortality that we all have. And it is being aware that feeling those feelings means you're here and you're grounded and you have uh, things going on inside of you that are just going on. And otherwise, the only other thing is you're just under the dirt and you're you're not a thing and you know i i know that a lot of people use religion to cope with that and that's fine maybe maybe religion is some people's answer um because i think that a lot of uh religious uh dogmas kind of do try to include like what is pain what is suffering what does it mean to have an existence of suffering what does it mean to be why do we grieve? Why are we burdened with these fucking crushing emotions that keep us in bed for weeks and, you know, stick with us for years and years and years in how do we, how do we cope with that? How do we find solace in that? And obviously I don't have all the answers, um, but I think that in poetry in literature, in dogma, in our own bodies is the answer. And we might spend our entire lives looking for it. And until our very last breath, until the mind dumps all those endorphins, and you're like, yeah, you did it! You won! You know, uh, I hope that's what happens. But I mean, until then, yeah, until then, man. I think you're spot on with the mindfulness. Um, and I think your perspective probably comes from the same place that my perspective comes from. And a lot of trauma survivors uh, get their perspective from as well. When you see the seriousness of mortality, you begin to learn to exist intentionally. I think that is the key. Exist intentionally and it's an extraordinarily hard thing to do when we're hardwired to sit in front of a uh, a screen and be spoon-fed memes and funny cat videos in order to cope but when you recognize that i can be here one moment and snuffed out the next when you've been attacked when you've seen death when you've had to move bodies and cut people down and experienced all of those things, you begin to exist intentionally because you recognize the fact that every single fucking breath that you draw in this insane world is nothing short of a miracle and a gift. And I use that word miracle, not necessarily as a, a spiritual word, but the fact that we are comprised of atoms, that if any given moment, the invisible barrier between them separated, we would become miniature atomic bombs. The fact that we're on this little pale blue dot spinning through space and not being snuffed out in an instant is reason for celebration. And I think for me, the way that I became to be pleased to be in pain was to not necessarily focus on that old trope of you know, all things happen for a reason. Well, sometimes the reason is existence is hard and people fucking sucks. It's, it's to focus on the absolute mind blowing miracle and an amazing fact that we are here. We are now, we are present. And that is in spite of all of the odds. And when you can shift your gears to, Focus on the fact that I am a walking, talking thing that should not exist <laughs> in, in the face of, of the, the math of the universe. You can't help but, but find a little joy in that beauty. So that, that's the part that I came to. That's how I learned to learn to, to be happy in, in that pain. And I think you're spot on with that concept of mindfulness and, and being intentional in your existence. And yes, folks, this is actually a poetry podcast for this. 
<laughs> yeah, for in case you were wondering. Well, I can, I can, I can reshift gears here. We can bring this full circle because as we were all talking, I was, um, I was thinking about one of my absolute favorite lines, and this is something that I've clung to, you know, for the last more than fourteen years now. I clung to this, which is from the Robert Frost poem uh, "Servant to Servant," that the only way out is through. And I had to learn that the hard way and the other, you know, because of course, most of my history was just to, you know, it was just a way to just get out of myself and get away from how awful I felt. You know, that's why I drank copious amounts of alcohol and took handfuls of pills and did all other kind of not good things for myself and others. And, you know, but then, of course, you take that away. And, you know, honestly, yeah, the early days of that part of that are very much pink clouding because, you know, you're feeling good. But then all of that stuff, it's like the dam breaks and you're left with all the underlying layers of that. And that is daunting. Um, but the beauty of that is, you know, I heard another amazing quote, and this isn't like poetry or anything, but it's a woman, she's pretty prominent on Facebook, but she does a lot of work with like men recovering from traumatic relationships and different kinds of things. But she had this quote that said, love can be an amazingly healing thing as long as you're willing to accept it. And whether that's a person in your life, you know, your, your pet, your kids, you know, family members or, you know, an intimate relationship. But, you know, I often was very, very isolated in those difficult things and not just being, you know, sort of naturally introverted anyway, but when the worst of the worst happened, I would always want to sort of kind of wall myself away to just sort of like quietly process. And not that that's entirely bad. Like I still do need the time to do that. But there was also the part where I came to a place where I had to have a conversation with another human being that I implicitly trust and say to that person with, you know, just going through a really, really messy spot in my brain that I'm like, you know what? I don't feel very good about myself and I want to hide from the world. And just being able to be that gut level honest with another human being that I can trust means the world. And does it make everything magically better? No, but at least it gives some voice and sheds some light because I think too, a lot of the things that we deal with um, when we talk about, you know, regardless of what the trauma is, I think we all internalize a huge gulp of shame. And it's like this stone that like sits in your stomach that you cannot pass. But you know, empathy and compassion are the antidote for that. You know, I've always wholeheartedly believed that. So when I listen to, and especially this is why I love doing this podcast with Adam. This is why like, I'm, you know, loving you as a guest. Anthony was great for this too. You know, and a lot of other people that we've read and spoken to, you know, people who have been through these really, really life altering experiences, but then being very open about how that affected them, the ways in which that affected them, even the, some of the more maladaptive coping mechanisms that they had, you know, that's why I had Anthony read Preakness uh, when he was, you know, reading it. It's not flattering, but it's honest. And then, you know, just having that element of compassion is that, None of us wake up in the morning and think to ourselves, how am I going to make myself and everyone around me feel like absolute garbage? That's never something that was cognizant in my mind, and I'm sure most other people's either. But it's taking that ownership of, I'm not responsible for what happened, but I do have a responsibility to it. And sometimes the best remedy I have for that is just to sit with, again, like just another sounding board, another human presence who without judgment or, you know, trying to fix or, you know, anything just to bear witness to that, that walk, you know, that tightrope walk that I think we all go over. And that's been my how, you know, for the last, you know, decade and a half. (laughs) Awesome. That's, that's great. And I think between, you know, the three of us, 
There's a fucking platitude of knowledge right there. So. We make we make one functional human being. Between. That's yeah. right. <laughs> uh, I think that's how how it works. Yeah. Ben, I was curious. Uh, I know we're running a little little close on time here, and this was driving me absolutely crazy. So I've got to ask during the episode. Page forty eight, torture killer model four twenty one. Is that in reference to the um, what's it called, the Unimog? Uh, that is in reference to, uh, TK421, TK421, uh, it's, it's the Star Wars, uh, really? reference. Man, I took that yeah. way different. Okay, so, the Unimog <laughs> is a, a military vehicle, <laughs> and of course, me being the, oh, military, interesting. as soon as I saw Model 421, I was like, 421 military, and I'm like, oh, it looks like a truck that, like, transports soldiers, so I was just super curious, because I was reading this, and it's, it's an absolutely intense piece and that's what I was wondering. Yeah. That's fantastic. See, this is why I like asking these questions. Can you tell yeah, us a little bit uh, about this piece? I, I am curious about it. Uh, yeah. Well, why don't you read it, and then we can. I'll tell you about it. It's oh, it's intense for sure. Uh, yeah, like gore warning. <laughs> this is page forty-eight of Stones of the Wooded Valley. Title of the poem is "Torture Killer Model Four Twenty-One." A brutal machine created to interrogate and understand the human psyche, harvesting and exploiting, cutting skulls open to analyze and study the brain. The body is liquefied. Experimentations performed on all walks of life, children and the elderly alike. Monsters created to exploit our weakness and tense psychological trauma. Before the waste of flesh is discarded without remorse or conflict, they'll get inside our minds. The end of days will rise. The machines see with our eyes. Yeah, that's a cool one. I've talked about that one before. Uh, that one obviously gets some attention, <laughs> just given the the first bit there that's just very, like, Clive Barker gore brutality kind of thing. That's a hell of a title too. As but, soon as I saw that, I was like, "What? What is this about?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, the TK is is the acronym I was going for, and the four two one was the reference to uh, TK four two one's the Star Wars reference. But obviously, I pulled a lot of influences from Terminator. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of the I've been catching up with a lot of like the B Terminator movies like Nemesis, uh, Lady Terminator. There's like so many like B movies that are just like so cruddy, but like, you know, they're really just trying to lean into that cyborg thing. And I just love that shit. You know, that's I think towards the end. Yeah. Thanks for thanks for pulling that one, man. That's that's a fun one for me. Uh, But towards the end, I kind of tried to wrap it up a little logically and really consider uh, you know, like I said, I'm going back to school for, for computer science. I'm going to be getting my bachelor's degree, so I'm not going to be like a wizard or anything like that, but, you know, just learning about code and, and, and how AI, the trajectory of AI and stuff like that. And, and, and it's just interesting to me to see how technology is, is merging in with our lives. And, um, I think I tried to, I think I tried to um, wrap that up a little bit towards the end is to like to, to consider how how is artificial intelligence going to be uh, affecting our lives and things like that. Obviously, some, you know, uh, it's been said and done before. It's nothing super original, but I think I just kind of wanted to hook you in the beginning with that super graphic shit and then like wrap it up with like, a, hey, maybe, you know, being cyborgs is not good but i don't know there's a whole like philosophy there's a whole philosophy but i'm actually like more like pro transhumanism than anything probably i think there's that is a school of thought i don't know if we're gonna get there uh it sounds kind of messy we'll probably end up like cyberpunk kind of shit where it's just like giant shit in our face and we it doesn't like it only works half the time and you gotta like call some guy to reboot it for you and it's gonna be like more of a dark comedy than than anything else but yeah no i think james cameron uh, 
Yeah, exactly, dude. That, I love that, man. That needs to be a fucking movie, dude. <laughs> no, you but, you hooked definitely right from the the jump there. It is kind of a fascinating concept, and it's one that we're we're getting ever closer to that idea of whether or not we can be optimistic or pessimistic. Because, like, I've always come from the school of thought is a machine is made to run logically, and if you have a, an artificial intelligence, and the artificial intelligence main purpose for existing is to run intelligent intelligently and logically human beings are the least logical fucking things in the world so where does that leave us (laughs) yeah we're screwed (laughs) yeah there's there's actually a pretty there's an article that just came out that basically says just that they're like uh i don't think you guys have to worry about it because people programmed the computers just you know, let that like, like, and that basically wraps up, comes full circle to what you just said. Yeah, that, that's a huge point. That I mean, it also explains why like almost all of the chat bots end up becoming eventually like horribly racist. So yeah, um, <laughs> yeah some ghosts in the machine to work out for sure. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so we are at the hour already. That was a quick hour, but it was a great one. So, Ben, um, so tell us, I know you've got Phantoms coming out. That's right. That's a Dead Reckoning Collective uh, book. They also did uh, the Leo Jenkins book. That was, uh, according to Leo, it's... uh, he re- he gutted the book and redid it but yeah phantoms is currently in the editing process i'm really excited for that it is going to be um right now it is my only piece that is focused and dedicated on my personal experience with war um uh stones of the wooded valley has some pieces on war um what's interesting about the first one uh silent whispers the what's interesting about the first one, the silent whispers of omens is it kind of spans like my early teenage years. So there is those elements of, you know, as we talked about earlier, you know, drinking the Kool-Aid a little bit and um, you know, those, those sorts of mindsets that really helped kind of build a sort of barrier between me and the fact that I was, okay with going over to a war in Iraq for whatever reason, you know, in my own mind, there were justifications, but in the eyes of the country, it was like, Oh, whatever. Um, that's a whole nother spiel, but yeah, no phantoms is basically all about that. It's all about my coping. It's all about the, the stuff that I saw. I didn't, I tried to write a memoir because I have, a journal from my deployment and it is a very full journal. It's about 30,000 maybe. And eh, no, no, it's not 30,000 words. It's probably like, eh, like 11,000, 11 to 15,000 or something like that, you know, but I, I kept a pretty good, I kept a pretty good journal and I tried to turn it into a memoir and it just wasn't working for me. Um, I do enjoy writing fiction. I do enjoy writing prose, but for me, a hard fucking hitting poem will devastate someone the same way a fucking 11 page paper can. And it, it may be even more so, um, you know, um, I think that writing a really strong, poignant poem is hard and it's difficult. And I applaud the people that are able to pull it off and I'm with two of them here today. You guys are fantastic at what you do. Thank um, you, so I'm in very good company and you guys know what it's like though, but y- you have the peaks and the valleys and, and you just kind of go with the tide as far as putting the shit out there and, and putting it down, but putting it down is obviously the first step. Um, so yeah, no, Phantoms, uh, like I said, I have been out of the military for a long time. It's been a long time since I've been to Iraq. Uh, but my life has gone through a lot of wild changes uh, between now and then. And I wanted to embrace the present time that I was writing. Uh, a lot of those poems uh, are pretty new. Uh, not, nothing has been previously published. It's all... 80 90% of them I have a few in there that I've published before uh through uh Dead Reckoning Collective they had a collection of poems 
um and a couple of them appear on that and i think i pulled one from uh silent whispers of omens but i kind of reworked it a little bit so yeah i'm I'm really excited for it i i, I know i'm i feel very at home with dead reckoning collective i got their their hoodie on right now to try and channel their energy I got a nice podcast coming up tomorrow speaking with Nate Gladden. He, the community is really fantastic. If you start to, you start to see a lot of familiar names supporting one another within the, the veteran writing community. Um, there's a lot of talent in, and I'm saying this with a lot of humility. Um, I, I know I'm a good writer because it's just all of that I know that I'm good at and everything else is just like, yeah, whatever. I just have hobbies and shit, but I, and I know when I'm in really good company and I feel very much so within the veteran writing community and with you guys and knowing uh, the people uh, that I've met like through the Instagram connections and stuff. It's, it's been really awesome and it's, it's great to surround yourself with those types of people. Um, so yeah, phantoms don't have a hard date on it yet, but, uh, that'll be coming out in the next year or so. And I'm really Great. excited for that. And then tell us about headspace and timing. Yeah, that's uh New York city, September 22nd. It's just a few days away from today. Uh, it's Thursday evening. We're going to be at the KGB bar, uh, myself, Mason Roderick, uh, William Bulliard, Stephanie Palopovich, uh, Justin Egan and Anthony Roberts. Uh, we, I, be, I don't believe I'm missing anybody. I hope not. Um, I think I got everyone in. We're going to be there in uh, support of Vet Rep Theater, which is great. And Strong Point. I don't, I don't have the advertisement unfortunately in front of me. There's another uh, representative that's getting. Yeah, uh, Strong Point uh, Thunder Ranch. Yes, thank you. Uh, they're also getting some. Uh, uh, proceeds that we're looking for donations uh we're going to be reading some poetry i'm going to be playing some guitar i got some covers lined up it's going to be really fucking awkward for me because i'm i picked really sad music but i don't fucking care so. lean into it man <laughs> lean into it you're yeah, a hell of a, everyone's just gonna deal <laughs> you're a hell of a musician also uh thank you so much Appreciate for joining it, bro. us uh it's been an absolute pleasure uh folks you can find ben on at Benfo, the Benfo, which is a fantastic username, by the way, on Instagram and also um, the website benjaminfortier.com as well uh, for additional words, photography, and audio. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been absolutely fantastic, and we cannot wait to see your new project. Thanks, Adam. All right. And once again, we are the Shadow Eraser Poetry Hour, having had the pleasure of the company of Ben Fortier, author, musician, vet, all around awesome person. Um, again, look for his new book, Phantoms, coming out sometime within the year. And of course, the event, uh, Headspace and Timing, at the KGB Bar on September 22nd from 7 to 9 p.m. If you happen to be in the New York metropolitan area. Um, again, we are the Shadow Eraser Poetry Hour, and you can check out our website, which is www.shadoweraserpoetry. Um, our podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, all of those happy, wonderful platforms of your choice. And again, uh, thank you again for joining us tonight. And Ben, we hope to have you again after the release of the next book. Thanks, Carla. It's been a real pleasure. Looking forward to meeting you on the 22nd. Definitely.